North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. You tuned in back to another show of Dr. Lou Radio. I am Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm your host. And uh, thanks for joining me again for a wonderful show. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've done a show. Uh, The last one we did was with Kyle Maynard on No Excuses in 2014. So if you haven't listened to that show, please go on and tune into that. Hopefully you guys are having a great 2014. And if you are making excuses and not reaching for the big things that you want, I really encourage you guys to go and listen to that show we did a couple weeks ago. You can listen to any of the shows at drlowradio.com. So go on back there and download any of the shows you'd like. Thank you so much for the, uh, the listens and all the fan reviews on, um, on iTunes. I really appreciate those, and it gives me juice to keep going. I love, love reading those. Uh, let's see here. So tonight's show is really all about achieving hormonal bliss using naturopathic medicine. You guys know I'm a naturopathic doctor. I love talking about natural ways to get your goals met, and there's so many different tips and tricks we can share with you guys tonight about having your hormones balanced. And it doesn't always involve medications, which is what a concept, right? There's so much you can do to empower yourself using natural treatments, using nutrition, you know, some lifestyle things. We're talking all about it tonight. So before I introduce my guest, just want a couple announcements. So if you guys uh, are not fans of the Facebook page, go on over to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Noel, And I'm also on Twitter. I'm not as involved on Twitter, but I always try to, and I try to announce it for when I am more involved on Twitter. Um, but that's twitter.com slash Noel, And, of course, you can always um, catch what I'm doing over on my website, drlaurennoel.com. I'm actually really excited. This weekend I'm going to be uh, heading out to Florida uh, to go hang out with uh, JJ Virgin for her mastermind group down there. So now I'll be hanging out with a bunch of really big uh, heavy hitters doing some big things. I think uh, I want to say Dr. Sarah Godfrey will be down there. I think maybe Dave Asprey. I think he was at the last one, so we'll see. Uh, but I'll be sharing with you guys some cool things that I, I'll learn this weekend uh, on upcoming shows. I'm hoping next week to have uh, Pete uh, from Pete's Paleo on the show to talk about um, how to eat food in season, so how to really eat what's local in season, how to make that a doable diet. I really believe that you know we're designed to eat according to the seasons, You know the kinds of foods that are in the wintertime versus the summertime, spring, fall, I think that there's, you know, there's changes that happened uh, around us and we should, you know, kind of uh, tune into those things that are near us. I think that it makes a big difference in our health and, uh, and of course, eating organic and natural foods. And so we'll talk a lot more about that. So I just need to confirm with him, but I think he's going to be on the show next week. Um, and then wanting to get uh, Denise Minger on the show to talk about her new book. Uh, I think it's called Death by the Food Guide Pyramid or Death by the Food Pyramid or something like that. Um, but we, uh, we're going to have her on the show to talk about her awesome book, and she's uh, such an amazing writer, so I'm looking forward to uh, reading up on that book and getting that shared with you guys on the show. So tonight, all about hormones, naturopathic hormonal bliss. We have Dr. Wendy Ellis on the show, and uh, I uh, actually heard her speak, I think, a couple years ago. I know that she's done some lecturing with Dr. Jonathan Wright, who's an amazing uh, medical doctor up in Washington, um, and uh, I've heard her speak and uh, just recently tuned into a webinar that she did on men's health and men's hormones. 
And I absolutely loved it. I wrote so many notes. I had so much um, value from that that I brought back to my practice. And I wanted to bring her on the show to talk about men's hormones. And I said, wait a second. I know there's going to be ladies who want to hear about women's hormones. So let's just broaden it and talk about naturopathic hormones. So that's what the show is all about tonight. So uh, Dr. Wendy Ellis, she received her degree in naturopathic medicine from the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, which where I, w- I went to school, uh, in Portland, Oregon in 2002, after graduating from the University of New England with a degree in medical biology. Uh, prior to joining the Tahoma Clinic, um, where she practices with Dr. Wright, Dr. Uh, Ellis practiced uh, medicine in Nicaragua, serving as primary care physician for a rural community on the island of Ometepe, and uh, focusing on women's health, pediatrics, and parasitosis. Um, Dr. Ellis also practiced medicine in Port-au-Prince, uh, Haiti, at Mother Teresa's Missions of Charity. Uh, she maintained a private general medicine practice in Portland, Oregon, before joining Tahoma Clinic in 2005. Uh, she opened and is the current director of the Tahoma Clinic North Seattle. You can get more information about them at TahomaClinicNorthSeattle.com. Uh, she practices general medicine with an emphasis on endocrine disorders, so sex hormones for men, women, uh, thyroid and adrenal disorders, also autoimmunity, fertility, uh, gastrointestinal disorders, environmental medicine, and also mycotoxicity. Tox, Ooh, that's a tongue twister. I love that. So, of course, she, uh, I'm sure everything is uh, always new and fresh in her practice. That's a lot of things that she focuses on, so it's never a dull moment, I'm sure. Um, education and lecturing is an important component of her practice. She's been a frequent lecturer for uh, bioidentical hormone societies, also for ACAM. We've talked about ACAM a lot on the show. Uh, the Naturopathic Doctors Association, uh, and she hosts webinars for Key Compounding Pharmacy. Uh, she's also a frequent host of uh, Jonathan Wright's MD uh, Green, Green Medicine radio show on KVI AM 570 in Seattle. Uh, this is a really cool little uh, little quote she has. She really summarizes her medical approach as follows. She says, it's very important for me to have good communication with my patients. Each case is very individualized and requires a different approach to optimal health. It's my responsibility as a physician to educate my patients, understand their obstacles to health, and work with them to find the most appropriate treatment methods through lifestyle changes, dietary modifications, and appropriate supplementation. So not your average doctor. So Dr. Ellis, thank you so much for being on the show, and welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you. And, you know, I know we got some of your story with the with your bio, but I'd love to hear just a little bit more, I, I think, you know, kind of an intimate um, background. So what got you into doing what you do and being the doctor that you are? Well, you know, I think as naturopathic doctors, you're given such a wide scope of practice, and, you know, I don't I don't feel like you can really gauge what your specialty is going to be until you've been in practice for a few years. Um when I came back from working in Central America, which was my first uh, practice gig out of medical school, um, I just I, I found an opportunity at Jonathan Wright's practice. He was the originator of bioidentical hormones in the U.S., and so his practice was very focused on hormone replacement and hormone therapy. And since joining that practice in 2005, you know we've seen a huge influx of autoimmune disease. And autoimmune disease really loves to attack the hormonal, you know, the hormonal systems. Um, and so really my interest in, in hormones and endocrinology has been vastly expanded by my work with a lot of autoimmune conditions. And I think 
in order to be a good doctor, you have to be really interested in what you do and very engaged and constantly learning and listening to other doctors like yourself and people that are presented you know, on webinars or whether you're going to radio shows or conferences. And endocrinology is just really interesting and exciting to me, and patients can feel so much better very quickly. And so mm-hmm. it's a very gratifying um, type of profession. Mm-hmm. And it's such an art, right? I mean, you have to spend so much time with patients to really get to the root of what's going on with them because endocrinology is such a, a rich field. It is. And I think, you know, with endocrinology, I think we fall very short with lab testing. And I think often endocrinologists are very boxed into their their guidelines by the academy that they work under, so the American Academy of Endocrinology or the American Academy of Cardiology. And so if someone fits within a reference range, the doctor says, well, this is our standard of care. And so as naturopathic doctors, you know, not only do we have a very different set of reference ranges that we prefer personally, um, but also we are able to spend a lot more time with our patients. And clinically, I think the art of endocrinology comes from conferring with patients and being able to spend time with them and to physically see them and and spend that, you know, 60 minutes with a new patient appointment. Even though most insurance companies do um, cover naturopathic care, at least it's starting that way, um, I just think that, you know, when you go to an endocrinologist and you're only given that very small slice of time with them, they can't possibly do a great job because they don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like being able to spend more time, even if patients are paying out of pocket, I feel like naturopathic medicine is so focused on clinical application and, and clinical symptoms along with lab testing. But I feel like hormones, you really get a lot more from clinical information than you do from a number on a paper very frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Which for, for people not who- to not to not to say that lab values don't matter. I mean, I, I definitely want to keep my patients within a healthy reference range. And if someone comes in with a, you know, with a completely normal test result, I'm not going to just throw them on something irresponsibly. But, you know, they may feel better at the top of the reference range rather than the bottom. Right, and that's what I love about it is you're not just treating a lab. You're actually listening to what the patient's saying. So you can even have some ideas for patients who maybe their labs are perfectly normal, but they still have raging symptoms. You can actually still address something with them, right? It's not like, oh, your labs are normal, so you're fine. Come back when, you know, when there's a real issue. Right, and there's a whole, you know, I think the the beauty of naturopathic medicine is that there's a grand scope of practice. And there's a whole spectrum of therapies that you can use. I mean, if someone comes in and they're having menopausal symptoms but they're still menstruating, I'm very um, careful and I, I really don't use estrogen in those cases because ultimately, initially, they might feel better. But later, you're, you're looking at developing a lot of heavy bleeding in that patient and they're very frustrated. So, you know, you could start with botanical therapies, you know, and then move on to more pharmaceutical therapies. But it's really... It's, it is an art because you really have so many options, but you might have a person that says, you know, I've tried all those things, you know, that's not working for me, I'm really interested in using, you know, prescribed estrogen. And in that case, you can say, okay, you've tried that. Or someone could say, you know, I've had breast cancer, I have raging hot flashes, 
but I have three generations of breast cancer in my family. And, you know, you're going to be a lot more hesitant to jump into pharmaceuticals, and instead you're more focused on, okay, what can we do that's more conservative? Because the literature was pretty gray in that area. And with Mm -hmm. one in eight women having breast cancer, you have to, everyone points the finger at estrogen, even though, you know, studies have shown more recently that estrogen is not the instigator of breast cancer. It's still the standard of care is to point the finger at whomever prescribed the estrogen. And so you're not only doing what's best for the patient, but you also have to worry about what's their family going to think, what's what's their other, you know, the people in, in their health team, what are they going to think. And so practicing medicine is, is not only just the gratification of treating the patient, but it's also highly political. And so mm-hmm. you have to be quite careful um, in the way that you approach that. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. It's an art and a science. I hear you with that. So for people who are listening and, and they, uh, they're not maybe so savvy on exactly what hormones do and how to keep them balanced, and, you know, my, my audience, it's a little tricky sometimes because my audience can be doctors or medical students and also just the general public. So I like to keep it, you know, I like to keep smart things but also keep it to where it's really easy to, for most people to understand. So um, looking at, at hormones and how to just keep them balanced generally, what are some of the main things that help to keep hormones generally balanced that we can do sort of on a daily basis? Um, And then we'll get into more specifics of how to actually do some, like, assessment for hormone levels. So hormones are, you know, they're very... They're very finicky, Um, and so some of the most important things are the basics, getting adequate sleep, managing your stress appropriately, you know, whether it's slowing down, reading a book, or going for a run. Exercise is a huge component of hormonal health. Um, Those are probably the three most important things, actually. And then, you know, so those are the things that you can do, you know, eating a very clean diet. A lot of women who are perimenopausal, meaning they're still having menstrual cycles, but they, you know, they're starting to get symptoms of low estrogen, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. If they just eliminate sugar and alcohol and in some circumstances coffee and eat a very clean diet and plenty of water, in many circumstances their hot flashes will go away. Um, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of those, a lot of the people who struggle from the worst menopausal symptoms, they do tend to have pretty poor sleep habits, pretty poor exercise habits. And so just doing lifestyle modifications. And, you know, when people say, well, what do I eat? What diet do I follow? Do I follow the virgin diet? Do I follow the paleo diet? Do I follow Atkins, South Beach? What diet do I follow? And Really, I try to always go back to, you know, real food. I mean, eating real food, eating fruits, eating vegetables, <laughs> eating chicken, fish, meat, you know, whatever whatever your, you know, vegetarian diets, you know, lentils, beans. So just eating a clean diet can make a huge difference. Um, but we do live in a pretty toxic environment. And, you know, regardless, sometimes you see very healthy individuals who, you know, there's a huge resurgence of autoimmune thyroid disease. So I'm seeing people come into my practice in their teens with antibodies against their thyroid. And, you know, their parents say, wow, we eat all organic, what's going on? And so there's definitely a lot of environmental impact. And so things, just basic things, like watching how much plastic you use, using environmentally friendly dish detergents and soaps and laundry detergents. And it's actually been um, 
hypothesize that women have a higher incidence of autoimmunity because of the things we put on our skin. We're using mm. lots, you know, back they were using lead in, in, for example, eyeliner. And so then, the, you know, the EPA got, I don't know if this EPA, the FDA got savvy and said, hey, we're going to test this for lead. And so the company said, okay, they're going to test for lead. So instead we're going to put cadmium in there. And mm. so a lot of what we use on our bodies is actually contributing to the hormonal problems that we have. And it's very interesting because the whole word hormone disruptor was not really coined until 1993, despite the fact that Rachel Carson in Silent Spring years ago was saying, wow, you know, look at the environment, look at what we're doing after the Industrial Revolution. And so as much as we can do to have very clean diets, sleep well, you know, drink plenty of water, filter your water, and really be careful with what you ingest and what you put on your body. For example, kids. Kids' pajamas, have they have flame retardants in them. And so your kids, you're putting your kids in these pajamas, they're sleeping, and these chemicals are known to disrupt our, our hormone systems. So if you start really getting into, you know, environmental medicine, it gets a little bit scary, but, you know, you do the best you can. Yeah. Drink some calming so, tea, I mean, right? Just drink some any anxiety tea, that comes yes, exactly, exactly. But you know, a lot there's there's keeping your body from having a whole lot of adipose tissue from from not carrying a lot of fat remarkably reduces your risk because all those environmental toxins, a lot of them are solvents and they like to sit in your fat. And so if you can avoid having a lot of fat on your body, your environmental load is going to be much reduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love the, uh, I know that uh, uh, Dr. Crinion, you know, wrote his book. I can't remember the name of it. Is, is it Clean Diet or is it's a book on detoxing? I know that he talks about um, obesogens and how fat basically keeps you healthy from these toxins, and so you release the toxins and then the fat comes off. So, um yeah, it's really interesting right. to see that. So, yeah, and also that that these these uh, these fat cells can be a big hormonal organ, right? I mean, if it's in the midsection, that can cause a whole slew of hormones to be released. So it's a uh, it's a lot oh, more absolutely. than just environment. It's definitely body composition. Yeah, it is. And you know, if we're talking about hormones as well, you know, and we talk about you know men men's health, so you know, if you are carrying a lot of weight, you know, as a man. Oftentimes, if you have insulin resistance or you have prediabetes, which generally if you carry a lot of weight around the middle and you're round around the middle, you can look at someone and say, geez, that person probably has insulin resistance. And as a male, you can't just throw a person on testosterone because that fat, that adipose tissue, will convert that testosterone straight to estrogen. And mm-hmm. so... so and the case with women is that if we carry a lot of weight around the middle as women, weight around the middle, generally you're having increased insulin, and then that's creating an increase in cortisol. And cortisol for women, actually, that cortisol-insulin sort of negative feedback and one pushing the other basically creates polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so, you know, it's you know, it's like the chicken and the egg in regard to PCOS. You know, is it is it the cortisol problem or the insulin resistance, or did the the did the PCOS come first and then the cortisol insulin pattern is because of that? But a lot of women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a lot, it's a lot of women, 
basically if you can change their diet to have a lot less simple carbohydrates, then it won't spike their insulin, it won't spike their cortisol, and then their ovaries won't produce so many androgens like testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, DHEA, in response to eating so many carbohydrates that increase the cortisol. So going back to the basics, like you had just mentioned, what can you do for your hormones besides actually taking hormones is keeping your body fit and really focusing on not carrying a lot of post, a lot of adipose tissue because that alone changes your hormone picture regardless of whether you're a man or a woman quite significantly. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to go and then get their hormones looked at, they want to go to their doctor, and we're, we're assuming that their doctor is maybe a naturopathic doctor or maybe someone who's more savvy in you know, integrated medicine, um, what would be just like ideally the, the lab work that would be run? Like what do you run for your patients? So if a patient comes in, I mean, sort of the typical presentation is the patient says, you know, I just don't feel as good as I used to, or I feel really crabby, or I feel really tired, or... I get really depressed. I mean, these are sort of the things that people, they just, their quality of life isn't what it was. So generally what I'll do is I'll do, I always do like a basic fasting blood work if they haven't had it done within the year, which might include a complete blood count, which is red and white cell counts and all the types of white cells and your hemoglobin, hematocrit, which really lets us know about your B12, your iron, your folate status. And then we look at Um, a metabolic panel, which looks at your liver and kidney function, um, amongst a few other things, and then a cholesterol panel, which looks at triglycerides and your good HDL cholesterol versus the LDL. And I usually run a TSH. I mean, unless someone's overtly presenting with hypothyroid symptoms, so they might have um, hair loss, they might feel really fatigued, their cholesterol made a, you know, a 30-point jump with no diet or exercise changes, or they gained 30 pounds without any diet or exercise change. Um, if there's overt symptoms, I might run a TSH, which is the thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is technically the standard of care. But what I really want to see is the free thyroid fractions, the actual circulating thyroid hormones, which would be um, the free T3 and the free T4. And as far as testing sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, that's more of a complicated thing um, because it really depends on, if you're a female, where you are in your menstrual cycle because that absolutely affects your hormone levels. And so what I try to do is I try to test them in the luteal phase, which is sort of if day one is, if day one is the first day that you menstruate, Day, the luteal phase is usually the 19th to 23rd day. So I try to check in that point because I want to get a peak of where the progesterone is. Progesterone usually peaks on day 21. And so I'll check an estradiol, a progesterone. You can do a free testosterone, and that's a baseline. And that's only if they're doing blood testing. Um, as far as other types of hormone panels, there's a lot more um, specificity in looking at a 24-hour GC mass spec, which is basically just a, a laboratory term for what type of urine testing that they're doing. And, and this is basically looking at what's your body using and excreting. It's the free fraction versus what's in the blood is protein-bound. So when it comes to actually measuring your hormones, looking at the free fraction is most important because that's the physiologically active hormone. And there are numerous labs 
um, in the U.S. that actually do 24-hour urine tests, which can give you, you know, eight different estrogens. It can tell you how you metabolize your estrogen because some are considered more dangerous, some are considered more safe. It also looks at the downstream metabolites of testosterone or DHEA. And most importantly, it looks also at your adrenal function. Your adrenal glands are the glands that produce cortisol in response to stress. So there are, there are fight-or-flight hormones. They also produce norepinephrine. Um, and so they're really important for day-to-day function, and also it really controls our sleep rhythms. And so looking at a cortisol or adrenal component in that 24-hour urine, that's really the best test, but insurance won't pay for that. And so it's usually an out-of-pocket cost. There are some companies that insurance covers it. Um, but that's probably baseline for me. It would be either a 24-hour urine test or a blood test with all of those things that we just discussed. And mm-hmm. then a very good case history. Okay, got it. And so how, how early are you running some of these hormone testing? I mean, I know for, for myself and my practice, I'll, I'll run it even just as a baseline, just for even someone who is young, you know, in their 20s or um, you know, early 30s, maybe they don't necessarily have issues. They want to get kind of a baseline or maybe things are just off a little bit and we'll do, we'll do some digging with some lab testing. Are you kind of doing even earlier than maybe menopause, for example? Oh, absolutely. And I'd say that probably 50% of my hormone cases are patients who are premenopausal. And mm-hmm. because hormone abnormalities can present so differently depending on the person, I always do upfront testing on younger patients before I do any treatment. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you really suspect something, you can do baseline testing and then say, after you complete that sample, then you can try this treatment, but you mm-hmm. really want that baseline first. Postmenopausal, it doesn't make sense to test their hormones before because you know they're low, they're postmenopausal. So mm-hmm. if I have a postmenopausal female, I'll put them on a treatment, and then I might test within 8 to 12 weeks after they've started. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get into, I know we're going to talk about men and women and different, you know, stages of life. So let's talk about maybe like the main um, imbalances that you would see in a woman, maybe like premenopausal and then maybe peri or postmenopausal, and then we can talk about the guys. Yeah. Um, so, you know, most there's a huge shift in hormones at age 38. And, you know, basically most of the time menstrual cycles start to make a little bit of a shift. So women who we like to throw around the term estrogen dominance, and that term's a little tough to swallow for me, but basically what that means is that they might not have more estrogen than the average person, but what that means is their, their fraction of progesterone might not be produced in the same level that the estrogen is produced. So technically, you know, they have more estrogen than they should as compared to the ratio of progesterone. And so patients generally come in and they're, you know, they're, they're gaining weight or they're having hot flashes or they're having vaginal dryness. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, if a woman is having menstrual cycles every single month, then I rarely give them estrogen because it always makes, for a disaster. And so I won't say always, but I'll say 95% of the time. And so usually women who are having premenopausal symptoms who are still bleeding regularly, progesterone is usually the place to go because, you know, generally they're feeling irritable. 
They're, they can't sleep, they have anxiety, and progesterone is usually you know, one of the most important premenopausal treatments that you can use. However, in many circumstances, the thyroid will actually, if the thyroid is off or you have some hypothyroidism, if you replace or treat a hypothyroid case, very frequently the menopausal or premenopausal or even PMS or PMDD symptoms go away. And so I'd say thyroid and progesterone are usually the places to go in a premenopausal female. Um, in some circumstances, patients you know, can have, there, there's generally two types of, of premenopause or perimenopause. There are the bleeders who produce a lot of estrogen who lack progesterone, or there are people who start skipping menstrual cycles. They might have a cycle, and then two months later, they haven't had a cycle, and then they get a really heavy bleed. And in those circumstances, low-dose estrogen can be extremely helpful. But again, it really depends on the person. But I'd say that most people fit into one category or the other. Little estrogen or, or a little bit of progesterone is necessary. Now, I, I probably know the answer to this, but when you're using estrogen or progesterone, you're, do, you're using it as a bioidentical form, right? And can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we're seeing in newspapers and magazines, you know, recently in Vanity Fair, there's a really long article about women dying of strokes or blood clots from the NuvaRing. And the NuvaRing or... Prempro or Premarin or birth control pills or the Marina IUD, these are not bioidentical because the estrogen or progesterone within those does not molecularly match the kind that our bodies make. And so when we're talking about bioidentical hormones, it basically means it's, a, it's, the, same, it's the same biochemical structure as the hormone that our body would make on its own. And so when it comes to hormone replacement, I, I, I use, you don't have to get it from a compounding pharmacy. So a lot of the bioidentical hormone creams, you have to use a compounding pharmacy. And, and the traditional prescription is something like biest or triest, meaning it has two estrogens or three estrogens. And the biggest difference between a compounded estrogen formula versus what you get at a pharmacy like a regular pharmacy like Bartels, for example, would be most estrogen prescriptions that are bioidentical carry about 80%, I'll say 50 to 80% of a hormone called estriol. And estriol is a very weak estrogen. It doesn't help hot flashes or night sweats very well at all. It's 180th the strength of estradiol. But there was a researcher, um, he was an oncology um, scientist, um, doctor, named Henry Lemon, and what he found was that women who had a higher incidence of breast cancer had a lower fraction of estriol. And so we, we as practitioners try to look at all of the research and all of the studies and say, okay, so if this showed that estriol is important in reducing breast cancer risk, we're going to put this in there even though it's not helping hot flashes. So there are some pharmaceutical um, bioidentical hormones, and these would be the Clymera patch, the Vivelle patch, um, Estrace cream, Vagifem tablets. I mean, there's, there's many bioidentical hormone preparations. They just don't have that estriol fraction in them. 
and mm-hmm. with progesterone, the progesterone, you can get progesterone through a mainstream pharmacy, but it comes in two doses. It comes in 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams. It's in an oral form. An oral can't always, you always have to go back, and it's your doctor's, you know, it's the doctor's responsibility to, to know all the things like you can't take estrogen without progesterone. You have to take enough progesterone to offset the estrogen so you don't build up a uterine lining and get uterine cancer. So it's up to the doctor to know that, but as a, you know, as a patient, it's really important to have to be informed because some doctors, they might do bioidentical hormone replacement by giving you a patch and progesterone, but they may say, okay, we're going to do the patch for three months, and then we're going to give you a loading dose of progesterone for 10 days and induce you to have a menstrual cycle. And you don't have to do that. And honestly, people feel generally better when they have a little bit of progesterone on board. But um, a lot of patients say, you're giving me a prescription, you know, from Walgreens, but I want bioidentical hormones. But you can get them from mainstream pharmacies as well. Now, do you uh, have patients do it all month long, or do you have them take a break? Because I know that my, my listeners are smart. They learn about things like hormone resistance and all that. So where, you know, how do you address that with your patients? You know, again, trying to look at, you know, my, you know, my medical director, Jonathan Wright, is he's very focused on mimicking nature. And so right. if you look at a menstrual cycle of a woman, generally the estrogen is like a bell curve. Day one, it's pretty low. It, you know, it sort of goes up to day 14 where the estrogen peaks and then it falls again. Progesterone is quite low. Around day 14, you start to see a little bit of a rise, and then day 21, you get a big peak. And so I had always been taught, you know, days 1 through 25, you should take the estrogen because your body was making estrogen when you were menstruating for about 25 days, and then you were bleeding for five days, and then it started over again. And for progesterone, it's really low, you know, for the first 10 days, and then maybe days 11 through 25, you have a peak, and then you stop on the 25th or 26th. Mm So, but, but what was happening for me and patients was that I was getting breakthrough bleeding with them, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't getting enough um, uterine protection. So I really started to think, hmm, you know, women, you know, why do we have the progesterone peak? We either have it, one, because we have a, you know, we have a fertilized egg, and we want to basically grow the corpus luteum around it, which is progesterone-dependent, Or there's no fertilized egg, and your body says, okay, there's no fertilized egg, let's shed this lining so we can start over. So in postmenopausal women, we're not doing either of those things. And so what what I've really moved to is using estrogen days 1 through 25, even days 1 through 28, because sometimes that five- or six-day break can be really bad for people, and they can can have – hot flashes and night sweats, and then, you know, it takes three or four days to get back into it, and I feel like that's pretty stressful on the body. And so mm-hmm. in many cases, I'm going up to days 28 and having them take a three- to four-day break depending on the days of the month. And then as far as the progesterone, um, I'm either doing a lower dose of progesterone for the first, you know, 10 days and then increasing that for the second fraction. So I'm getting uterine protection, but I'm also getting that bump in progesterone. Mm -hmm. But I honestly, in many circumstances, will use progesterone for all the same days that I'm using the estrogen. And clinically, patients tend to feel much better with that approach. So, But I do take a few-day break because there are some animal studies that show that 
constant estrogen and progesterone supplementation can increase breast cancer risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we practice very similarly. It's just nice to hear that you know that confirmation. I do a very similar thing with my patients, so good to know. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about the premenopausal, some of the imbalances that that can happen. Um, is there anything else about that, or you want to jump into the sort of the peri and postmenopause? Well, you know, premenopause and even perimenopause is probably the hardest thing to treat because. Mm-hmm. One, I mean, it's really hard to measure hormones because they change. I mean, we could measure someone's hormones and three days later do it again, and it can be entirely different. So you're really focused more on clinical symptoms, um, and it's the moving target. It's all over the map. And so as I mentioned, you can bleed one month and then two months not bleed and then have a really heavy bleed. So we have these great smartphones now, and so as much as patients can do to track their cycles and say, oh, I had terrible breast tenderness these days or a terrible depression or I bled here and there, the more information they can provide, the better. But it is the hardest the hardest patient base to treat is the perimenopause craziness because it's so erratic. Postmenopause, pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty basic. And so, you know, you're dealing with kind of a clean slate because you're not dealing with the own endocrinology being over the map. The, the hormone levels are low. They're not changing day to day, and so postmenopausal treatment is usually quite, you know, I knock on wood, it's usually quite straightforward. <laughs> now, is there, do you have any, any tips you share with patients of how to make that transition more, you know, more tolerable, not so difficult, or maybe just for people listening who maybe can't, you know, see a notch by the doctor, things they can do through that transition that will help it to be a little easier? Yeah, the lifestyle things that we touched on earlier, you know, trying to get good sleep, which, you know, that's, a lot of people would laugh about that because sleep, you know, not sleeping is probably what drives people in the most. Right. And so they could go into their, you know, primary care doctor and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm anxious, I'm not sleeping, you know, could I try using progesterone? And, you know, usually GPs or even, you know, OBGYNs or, you know, internists will say, yeah, you know, I'll I'll give you progesterone. And so progesterone, especially if it's from a regular pharmacy that your doc can write you a quick, you know, a quick script, oral micronized progesterone, 100 milligrams, is extremely helpful for a lot of people. And you could get that from your primary care. Um, and then probably my, my favorite estrogen replacement is the patch. And I'd say that Mainstream medicine is really moving more towards oral micronized progesterone and the estradiol patch because they don't carry the stroke risk like oral estrogen does. And, you know, that's another point. So as naturopaths, I see a lot of prescriptions for oral estrogen. Bioidentical or not, oral estrogen increases stroke risk. There's no argument about that whatsoever. And so we should definitely stay away from oral estrogen and you as a, you know, as a patient should say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. You know, we need to find another solution. But sublingual is the same as oral because you're swallowing 50% of it. And then ask mm-hmm. for your thyroid to be checked. And, you know, eat a clean diet and try to, try to avoid drinking coffee and drinking alcohol later in the day. Those are going to make things much, much worse. And even though, you know, we all think of Suzanne Summers, you know, we think of Chrissy from Three's Company, uh, at least I do. That was sort of where when I grew up that was happening. 
But uh, she actually wrote a pretty good book called Breakthrough. And the more you can advocate for yourself as a patient, which that book is actually educates a lot of people. I mean, they come in with great questions, and they know what they want. They know what they don't want. And so I encourage people towards that book because it really, really gives them, you know, a basis of understanding. Hmm. It's a really good, good uh, suggestion. I haven't read that book yet. I'll have to check it out. Great. So we talked yeah, about. Yeah, it is good. Uh, I mean, it's... sorry, there's a little delay. Go ahead. I cut you off. Now, that the great thing about that book is that it's got resources for doctors that might be in your area that are skilled with hormone replacement. Mm. So, awesome. Yeah, it's not all done the same, so it's very important to to go to someone who knows what they're doing. What about the men? What do we do for um, some of the? What are some of the main, I guess, dysfunctions for men's health uh, regarding hormones? And I mean, I can say from from experience with working with men over the years. I'm baffled at how often I see low testosterone, even in young men. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Right. Right. Well, you know, preparing for the webinar, you know, that I did not too long ago, um, basically I came upon one, you know, a couple different studies that actually said something like 37% of men older than 45 have a documented low testosterone. And, you know, with testosterone, I, you know, I pretty much always use blood testing initially for testosterone, and I order a a free and total testosterone. And so, you know, but a a lot of men don't like to talk about their testosterone levels. And so you have to be, you know, I was listening to a Medscape, you know, CME that was saying, you have to be very careful with how you approach testosterone with men. And, you know, I find it's the opposite. I feel like, Men, you have to be very direct with men. You have to, you know, once one guy said, you're acting, you're asking me about my erectile dysfunction like you're asking me what color my socks are. And I said, well, we don't need to make it weird. It's, you know, it's a, it's a physiologic issue. <laughs> and so, you know, I feel like we have, to, we have to be very direct in asking our patients. But um, it is huge. There is a huge amount of testosterone deficiency. And I think the biggest issue is that a lot of these men are in childbearing years, and if you just give them testosterone replacement, it's going to cut their sperm count. And so there's a lot of movement towards using clomiphene, which you heard about in my lecture, which basically clomiphene is used in a lot of fertility medicine, and what it does is it encourages your luteinizing hormone, which is a pituitary hormone that signals the testes to make more testosterone. So because you're not just giving testosterone, you're not suppressing the sperm count. So, but there's not, you know, the long-term studies on clomiphene use for men aren't quite there, but if you can do it short-term, you know, during the times when you want to procreate, then consider testosterone replacement later. Um, And testosterone replacement, you know, like estrogen, it comes in many different types. It comes in injections, it comes in creams, it comes in patches, We've probably all seen the commercial. It comes in underarm, you know, underarm. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It almost looks like deodorant. And so <laughs> the the biggest thing with testosterone replacement is why is the testosterone low? In many cases, you will not find the reason. But in many cases, a, a thyroid that's on the low end of the normal, if you replace thyroid hormone, the testosterone levels will come up. So in many 30-year-old men who are still having families, you just replace 
thyroid, and you'll see a couple hundred point jump in their testosterone levels. So that's a really good clinical pearl because, you know, oftentimes people don't want to take testosterone for the rest of their lives. Um, Mm. And, you know, as a male or as a, you know, the partner of a male, there is a great book written by a Harvard um, urology professor, and it's called Testosterone for Life. And it's available on Amazon.com, but it's a really great book to educate people to know what to ask for and what to look for and to debunk the myth that taking testosterone is going to increase prostate cancer. Um, He actually started seeing a ton of patients with low testosterone, but doctors were saying, oh, you can't do that. You're going to increase prostate cancer risk. And so what he did is he started saying, okay, if we're concerned with prostate cancer, I'm going to do biopsies of these patients before of their prostates before I give them testosterone. And what he found was even if the PSA was not elevated, if the testosterone levels were low, there was a higher percentage of men with with prostate cancer with low testosterone than there were with men who had normal testosterone levels. And so we're starting to look at the research around reduced testosterone can actually increase prostate cancer risk. And and honestly, a lot of men who have enlargement of their prostate, so they're getting up at night to urinate, you can usually, even without a physical exam, say, is it is it difficult to urinate? Is there a split stream? Are you getting up, you know, at night to urinate once or twice or more? And in some of these cases, if their PSA is slightly increased, let's say it's three or four, I've definitely seen numerous times where giving them testosterone actually lowered the prostate or or the PSA. And so there definitely are associations with benign prostatic hyperplasia, which means enlargement of the prostate, but not in a dangerous way, not from cancer, and actually testosterone shrinking that prostate. So we're just now, I mean, just now we can all see the amount of commercials for testosterone because, you know, like you mentioned, there's a huge, huge amount of testosterone patients that have low testosterone. They're in their 30s, 40s. But if you don't have enough testosterone, your cholesterol goes up, you get depression, you have cardiovascular risks. And so replacing, you know, testosterone is really important for their overall health. Mm-hmm. And how much of the of the low testosterone with younger men do you think is uh, attributed by these environmental toxins that are now so much of an issue? You know, I think that's huge. There's actually a, an antifungal spray that they spray on grapes, and so wine drinkers can definitely have low testosterone levels. Um, we're seeing a huge incidence of marijuana use. We all know that marijuana lowers not only sperm count, but also testosterone levels. Um, one study that uh, what, that a doctor that I work with recently told me was that people who were sporadic um, pot smokers had more endocrine disruption than people who were chronic pot smokers because if it's intermittent, the endocrine system is basically, you know, it's like someone who says, oh, I take my hormones sometimes, but I forget, and that's the worst thing you can do because, your pituitary is trying to communicate with your, you know, with your ovaries or your prostate, and if if it's intermittent with supplementation, then your pituitary is confused. So, um, but chronic pot use also lowers testosterone levels as well. So wow. I think that 
it's pharmaceutical drugs, I think it's environmental toxicity, and I think it's autoimmunity, which when it comes to autoimmunity, it's one in eight people now. Um, really, I think that environmental toxicity, you know, is basically what's happening that's increasing our single nuclear, you know, peptides and, and causing our genotype to express its phenotype and develop into Hashimoto's thyroiditis or premature ovarian failure or having low testosterone. There actually is a laboratory, Cyrex Laboratories, that does a 21-tissue antibody test, and part of that panel is ovarian or testicular antibodies. And numerous times I've seen antibodies against, you know, our, our sex organs in people. So I think environmental toxicity, autoimmunity, our recreational drug use, pharmaceutical medications, you know, how many people are on statins? You know, if you think about statins, they lower our cholesterol, but what are hormones made from? They're all made from cholesterol. So a lot of chronic high-dose statin use, like 80 milligram, you know, Lipitor, you're going to see hormone levels being affected because you're you're basically taking away the substrate that the body needs to make the hormones. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's so much. So I'm sure that there's guys probably listening going, oh, my gosh, there's so much. There's so many things that are causing problems with hormones. What are some just, like, simple takeaways that a guy listening to this can, can do to help balance out his hormones? You know, I think every guy should read that Testosterone for Life book. I think that's really important um, because, again, the more you know, the more you can advocate for yourself. But the other thing is knowing that the more weight you carry around the middle, you're going to convert your testosterone straight to estrogen. And so keeping a lean body mass is very, very important. Um, the other things you can do is, you know, you can not be a chronic or, you know, not smoking pot, not drinking a bunch of wine that's got, you know, I think it's, I want to say it's vincozolin, it's something like that, vinclozolin. Um, avoiding that, avoiding simple carbohydrates, getting good sleep, um, not drinking lots of beer. Beer is a, you know, it's a phytoestrogen. Um, so really, you know, the same with women, like getting good sleep, keeping a lean muscle mass, getting good exercise, and and if you can do those things and limit your environmental toxicity by avoiding using, you know, a lot of, you know, men have a lot of products just like women do, and so probably the Axe body spray is not good for you, and so right. um, just avoiding those things and using environmentally friendly products. And one really good resource for people is um, there's a website, ewg.org. It's Environmental Working Group. They actually have something called Skin Deep, and it's on that. It's on the homepage. You can click on Skin Deep, and you can type in your product, whether it's lipstick or body wash, and see if the ingredients of that product are carcinogenic. And so it's really good to be able to do that. So... And a water filter. I'm big on water filters. Um, And, you know, making sure that your medications aren't contributing to your symptoms. I mean, SSRIs. A lot of people are on SSRIs. That causes sexual dysfunction. And so is it the SSRI that's creating erectile dysfunction or is it low testosterone? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you always have to tease out what medications that you might be taking and seeing what the contributing factor is with that. What kind of water filter do you recommend? There's so many that are out there. 
You know, there are, and, you know, a lot of them I'm just not quite sure about. You know, they have these reverse osmosis ones, and so back when I was in school and, you know, there was a lot of a lot of people using the multi-pure filter, mm-hmm. um, and the multi-pure filter is about three to $400, and I like the multi-pure. I think it, I think it works well, but probably if you were to look at, you know, Google Walter Crinion water filter recommendations, you know, he's probably the one that's got a lot more information on water filters. Mm, okay. Perfect. Wow, we just kind of flew through almost a whole hour. It's, uh, oh, I love this stuff. It's so juicy. It's like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an endocrinologist. This is so, like, brain candy for me, so I love it. Um, Dr. Ellis, do you have any um, any other just, uh, you know, words of wisdom, any pearls, um, maybe any, like, specific herbal treatments that you absolutely love for balancing hormones, either for men or women, just something you're just really excited about that you want to share with our listeners? You know, I, I think one of the most important things to talk about is when it comes to nutritional products, whether they're botanicals, multivitamin, anything like that, they're not all the same. And, you know, we've seen a lot of um, regulatory issues coming up with the FDA. And so when it comes to using products, there are a lot of great companies out there. I mean, for women's hormone issues, the company Vitanica has some really great products. And you can tell what it's for, you know, based on the, the description on the label. Women's Phase 1, Women's Phase 2, PMS this. And so, you know, what I what I recommend is if patients are wondering if they're going to super supplements and they say, oh, what do I use? Um, I our, our clinic has a pretty big um, dispensary, not a marijuana dispensary, a supplement dispensary. <laughs> and basically, uh, they stole our word. They stole our word. I know. <laughs> um, but I go, so oftentimes if I'm like, okay, what brands are good then I'll go on to the Tahoma Clinic Dispensary website and see what brands they carry. And and so I use pharmaceutical-grade botanicals. I mean, I'll use um, Herb Farm. I'll use Vitanica. I'll use Biogenesis. Biogenesis is a great company. Um, biotics, but usually I'm using. You're gonna you're gonna pay more money for something that's better. And so if you're looking at the Amazon website and you're like, oh, five HTP for nine ninety nine, or you know somebody else's five HTP, same price, same mm-hmm. or same dose, you know, same amount of capsules, and it's you know quite different on the price point. There's probably a reason why someone's you know selling it for nine ninety nine because it's probably not a good product. And so mm-hmm. I usually recommend being you know, really careful about what products you use, like DHEA, for example. It's an over-the-counter medication, but it is a hormone. And so I only use pharmaceutical-grade DHEA, which would be I tend to use Douglas Laboratories because Mm -hmm. I know that it's going to be 25 milligrams within that capsule or tablet. There was a study done where they took 15 DHEAs off the counter, and 75% of them did not have what was listed on the label within the capsule. It was either 0% or up to 150%. Wow. So, you know, that's probably, you know, my biggest advice is be very careful with the products that you buy over the counter because they're – so people might say, I've already tried that. It's like, well, what brand did you try? Because maybe Mm -hmm. it was a really bad brand. So be careful shopping around and try to use, you know, good – 
reputable companies before you decide that it doesn't work for you. Mm, that's great advice. Um, for for maybe like maybe let's say a woman who's like in her pre-menopause, you know, like let's say someone around my age, you know, I'm 32. Um, would there be something like just sort of as general health, you know, balancing wellness, something you'd recommend just like as a, a supplement, you know, or is it mostly just something that you'd say, hey, let's just keep, you know, achieve this through diet and your lifestyle and your sleep and, and all that? Well, those are all important, but, you know, probably one of my go-to products with someone just feeling a little bit off is Fem Rebalance by Vitanica. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I like it is because it has adrenal support in it. Because if you have low adrenal, you know, it's, you could have someone on a hormone replacement for a long time, postmenopausal, and they go through a very significant stress, and then all of a sudden they're having hot flashes despite the fact that their hormone prescription did not change. What I do is I actually put them on Fem Rebalance because adrenal support takes care of their hot flashes. And so mm. especially if your stress is the instigator of your symptoms, um, I do adrenal support. So I really like Fem Rebalance by Vitanica because it has a little bit of black cohosh in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also have Women's Phase 1 and Women's Phase 2. I really like those. And then, you know, there's there's always fad products, you know. It's So I have a lot of supplement companies knocking on my door, coming in, saying, try this, try that. But there's mm-hmm, the yeah. most research botanically on uh, black cohosh and St. John's wort probably are the very best to, um, or the most researched botanicals for that sort of pre-menopause. Um, but the other thing is B vitamins a good B-complex. So I usually say everyone should be hearing, um, you know, everyone should be taking a good multi. A good multi is usually three to six capsules a day. Uh, Vitamin D, usually between, you know, anywhere from two to 10,000 units. Some fish oil. And with a B-complex, if someone's having mood issues but they're still regularly menstruating, there's a huge amount that can be gained from just taking a a B complex, and I always use the most active methylated form, which Thorn, T H O R N E. They make a B complex number 12, which is great. And then they also make um, a really good, um, oh, what's, I can't think of the name of that product. But, you know, I tend to stick to Thorn for B vitamins and minerals because they're usually the most absorbable form. And then the other thing I tend to do for PMS or sort of the beginning stages of of having hormonal issues, evening primrose oil. So evening primrose oil is amazing for the mood disorders in women. So, and then check your thyroid because that's usually, thyroid starts going down, you know, usually in the 30s for most Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Awesome. Those are some great ideas. And then what about maybe just some general things that a man, a man can do? Let's say he's already sleeping well, he's exercising, he's, you know, keeping stress levels down. Are there just, just some ways he can take it to, to ninja level? Yeah, and so, you know, with men, usually a good multivitamin, as I mentioned before, you know, I like thorn, um, a B-complex, vitamin D, fish oil is really important for men. But men... Men tend to be a lot more straightforward than women. So I love seeing men because they're just, you know, it's they're a lot less complicated because things seem to, they do get two testosterone peaks in the day. Um, so you have to be careful when you're testing testosterone levels. But, you know, they're pretty stable. And so 
I'd say those things are extremely helpful for men. And also with men, you know, get them to do their colonoscopy, get them to do their prostate exams because they're not going to ask. And so as a practitioner, it's really important that you do those things and sort of stay ahead of the game. And and I do the basic CBC, lipids, metabolic panel um, when they're in my office just because, you know, a jump in cholesterol could be related to a, a low thyroid. So say healthy eating and a good simple supplement regimen and most of the time that does the trick. Yeah, the basics are the most powerful. It's awesome. Awesome yeah, advice. And I, really, really I'm good a big at- Yeah, and I'd say most most paleo diet, you know, I'd say paleo diet's probably what I recommend the most, but I do really like a paleo a modified paleo. So yeah. paleo diet plus maybe one carb serving a day and doing more of the complex carbs like lentils or quinoa or you know sweet potato and really staying away from simple carbs because that that way you're going to stay away from you know processed foods. Mhm. Cutting out the gluten. I love that. All gluten-free foods. Yes, exactly. I I tend not to go there in the first appointment. I usually like to prove the lab work first. Yeah, I usually don't because I can kind of keep you know they'll just running. They they won't come back sometimes, but every now and then I will have to exactly. read the patient and see if they can handle it. <laughs> awesome, Doctor yeah, Ellen. Cool. Exactly. It's so much information. I think that uh, people are going to get a lot of content out of today. And um, you know, thank you so much for spending your time with us tonight. And where can um, listeners learn more about you? And and also, do you work with patients from a distance, or are they just local um, in Washington? Uh, no, I have actually patients from all over, um, you know, and most it's it's preferred to meet them in person the first time and, you know, mm-hmm. then work from a dis- distance, but it doesn't always work that way. And as long as I have, if I'm not obviously inspecting something, as long as they have a primary care who they can get their physical exams or their gynecologic exams or prostate exams through, I just want to see basic blood work, and I I do work by phone with patients. But um, they can either just Google me, Wendy Ellis, ND, um, or they can just Google Tahoma Clinic, Wendy Ellis, and, you know, I pop up pretty quickly. But I am in the Seattle area, um, and, yeah, pretty simple and pretty easy to find. Yeah. And then what's, uh, what's on the horizon? you have any projects coming up, any more webinars, or anything for me to look forward to? Oh, you know, I've been, I went, you know, if you haven't done this yet, I highly recommend going to an environmental medicine conference. It's four days of environmental medicine. And so I'm really getting into uh, mold exposure and how mold is affecting us. Um, And so that's sort of what I'm getting into right now is mold, because I am in Washington, um, but right. mold and and uh, mycotoxins are really causing a lot of a lot of problems in patients, and so I've been working in that direction. But I'm still highly steeped in the endocrine and gastro. I mean, you you can't you can't be a naturopathic doctor and not not be exposed to gastroenterology. So this it's weekend true. I'm headed to a conference at NCNM for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and so, oh, I'm so always jealous. learning, always learning. I wish I could clone myself so I could yeah. be there, but I'll cut the recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually two hundred bucks, and you can attend, you know, from anywhere. So, oh yeah, I'll be check doing it out. That. Cool. Well, thanks again so much for being yeah. on the show, and have a wonderful night. I'm sure I'll see you soon at an environmental conference, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. Of course, you too. Take care. Thanks. 
All right, you guys, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening in. We're talking all about natural ways to balance your hormones, so spread the word. If uh, if you know anyone who would need this uh, content, I'm sure probably like all of us do, um, definitely uh, share it with your friends. And I just did get confirmation from Pete. He is going to be on the show next week. Uh, That's Pete from Pete'sPaleo.com, and we're going to be talking all about the paleo diet, um, how to eat in season and local foods. He has some really cool tips he'll share with us. That'll be next Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Have a wonderful rest of your week, you guys. I will be in uh, Florida this weekend in Tampa, um, hanging out with JJ Virgin and some other people. Um, and uh, I'll catch you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. Bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to Boys and Girls Club. So I can do good, look good. And get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.